Welcome to the Gold Standard on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Michael Gallagher with Nashville Hockey Now, and you can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. And I'm Nick Kieser, filling in for Braden Gall this week. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at KieserNick, also with uh, Nashville Hockey Now and 1025 The Game. As you can tell, uh, I, I'm not Braden Gall. Um, thankfully for that, because I know you'd probably rather listen to him than listen to me. Uh, Braden has a much deserved week off. Nick was gracious enough to fill in. Um, we have some actual hockey to talk about, hockey that matters. The preseason was fun. We have a regular season game to talk about, fresh in our minds from last night. We're, we're going to get into what worked, what didn't, what we liked, some positives, some negatives that we saw, and just kind of our overall impressions of, of the first game of the Andrew Burnett era. We're also going to talk about getting into the Predators' schedule because they have three pretty pretty tough games over the next week before the, the next episode of the Gold Center drops. Get into that a little bit. Uh, first impressions of the top line. I felt like it was it was really good. There were some positives to take away from there, and just kind of overall thoughts of how things are going. One game into the Barry Trotz Andrew Burnett era, but before we do that, Nick, you've you've been on this on the podcast before, so I'm hoping you know the answer to this. The Gold Standard is brought to you by Jaspers. That's right, Jaspers. And I know the running joke on this podcast and just on Twitter is that I haven't been to Jaspers as much as, much as someone who is on this podcast should. And that's right. And I'm, I'm going to remedy that this, this season, my goal is to get to Jaspers a minimum of three times. I know that's lofty expectations because I've only been there twice. However, I am going to set a bar that I'm going to be, I'm going to go to Jaspers at least three times this season. And you know what? They actually, they have really good food. They have really good specials, $3 beers, uh, let's see what else I'm trying to read off of the off the website because I don't want to misquote anything. Five dollar bubbles and rosé on Wednesdays, two for one beers on Sundays. Braden says they watch your kids. I don't have kids, so I can't confirm or deny whether that's true or not. But lots of reasons to go to Jasper's. I know I know you went with us last time. We kind of had our little our, our work meeting. Good food. If you're into beer, great beer. There's lots of reasons to go to Jasper's. Yeah, there certainly is. Hey, you cannot go wrong with any of the smash burgers as well that's a staple i feel like there and i love the waffle fries so everybody go to jasper's it's really good jasper's is the next evolution of the sports bar it's a great place to watch preds games it's a great place to just watch any nhl games it's just a great place to go if you just want to go hang out with your friends and grab some food so make sure you go to jasper's all right we're going to get into the game last night there's a lot there was a lot of stuff going on and I really feel like we kind of have to look at this in, in two parts. There's the first period, and then there's the second and the third period. Because the, the the team we saw in the first period was a lot different than what we saw in the second and the third period. And I think that's going to be kind of what we're going to see a lot this season, at least for you know the first month or two while they're they're trying to get their their legs under them. They're trying to establish some chemistry. They're trying to get Andrew Burnett's system down. I know it was talked about a lot on Twitter. The first period was not good. They got outshot. They were just kind of dominated all around. The Lightning's defense was just kind of stifling the Predators, and it took them pretty much the entire period before they they finally got their offense going. So I kind of wanted to talk the, talk this through with you. What were your takeaways from that first period? Because like I said, the first period, Predators last night was far different from what we saw for the final two periods. Yeah, it was significantly different. And the first thing that listeners need to be aware of is this is the eighth time in franchise history that the Nashville Predators were held to a minimum of two shots in the opening frame. And that's apparent because 
Andrew Brunette has been telling us and other reporters as well that they want to have the puck as much as possible. And in the opening frame, that was a struggle for them. And so were clean breakouts as well. That was my first takeaway from last night's game as well. Aside from special teams, I think when you take a look at what the Preds were able to do successfully later on in the rest of the game, the 40 minutes that we did see of what was somewhat successful hockey, the Predators were able to kind of muster together some good stretches of offense and, yes, stretch passes as well. And so I think Tampa kind of picked up on the reads as quickly as they possibly could, and ultimately it came to the Predators' demise, Michael. And I think as well we saw UC Soros get tested a lot. And so that's going to be something that he has to buckle up for this season, and fans are going to be on their seats just wondering how this is going to go for him as well this season. So I think in that regard, it was an interesting game. Also special teams too. I think the power play got changed one time that I noticed. And I know that on the penalty kill, the Preds were also consistent in that facet as well. That might've been one of the strengths in their first game of the year. Not a whole lot to really analyze Michael in just one game. We'll have much more to talk about next week on this program, but I think some parts were more were more encouraging than others. Yeah, and I mean, look, you, you mentioned it. Two shots in the first period. They finished with 31. So to come back and put up 29 shots in, in the second and third period, I think, was it was a good way to kind of answer the bell, if you will. And I think they, they might have needed the first period to kind of calm the nerves, settle down. And we've talked about this before. They basically they've had three weeks of skating together. They've had a handful of practices and five or six preseason games and just three weeks of, of learning Andrew Burnett's system, trying to get down some chemistry, trying to incorporate everything, switching from from the, the regime change of, of going from David Poyle to Barry Trotz and from John Hines to Andrew Burnett. And, and we talked about this on the podcast last year when Ryan McDonough joined and they, they were pairing Ryan McDonough and Matthias Eckholm together. And Ekholm said, look, it's going to take 30, 35, 40 games before we kind of gel and we have that chemistry. It's going to take it's going to take longer than just a week, longer than just two or three games for, for this to actually look the way it's supposed to. And I think we can kind of take that and extrapolate that to this to, to what we're talking about with with the system change as well. I don't know if it'll take 30, 35 games, maybe 10, 15, 20 games. But, but we saw in that first period, the Predators didn't really, it was kind of disorganized. The passes weren't fluid. Everything, it just seemed kind of off. And the Lightning, of course, being the perennial Stanley Cup contender they are, they look like they looked exactly how they were supposed to, even with a backup goalie in there. But, but, they, but the Preds kind of figured it out. They sorted it out in the second and third period. There was a lot to like. They were generating more shots. They were creating more chances. They were going through and they were creating more space. They looked they looked like they were running the system the way it was designed. And if you look at some of the overall stats, they actually outshot the Lightning 15 to 12 in high danger chances for, which I thought was pretty interesting considering how bad that first period was. And they also, in the second period, their expected goals for, uh, expected goals for percentage was way higher than the Lightning. So you, you can tell when, when, when it's clicking, and Ryan O'Reilly kind of alluded to this in the last preseason game, when it's clicking and they have it down, the potential is there for this offense to be really good. It's just going to take a little bit of time and it's going to be a learning curve for them. Yeah, I mean, that's all it's going to be this season for them, Michael, is a learning curve. And so that's the best way to kind of 
paraphrase what Andrew Burnett has kind of alluded to several times, especially during training camp as well. He's still getting to know everyone. He's not stealing stealing everyone's phones like Mike Babcock wanted to just to get to know his players whatsoever. So it's good to, it's good to know that he's taking this as personally as possible. And one thing to note as well, just to not too not, not really be too much of a homer here, Michael. But then again, Preds fans that are dedicated know very well that Andrew Burnett was on the very first Predators team. So this season is very special. It's a little bit of an extra motivating factor, I feel like, for this staff to have some early success. And I think we're starting to see it. You know, we only have a little bit of hockey just to go off of, but, you know, Kucherov scored the first goal of the season. Great for them. But the Predators, you know, that first period, it was abysmal. But then you look at the second, like you were just talking about, everything started to look better. And I think that the the very first power play, oh gosh, that struggled. And I was not happy with that, just watching how they were trying to set up at least. But then as they continued to kind of get themselves set up, you know, I was encouraged to even see someone like Jeremy Lazan, who skated up the ice, popped a puck on net. And then you see Colton Sissons, who's right there on the doorstep, doesn't bury it whatsoever. But that was the first big chance of the night, five minutes into the second period. And so while they weren't very good on the power play in the second to start things off, they slowly started to come into the form that they needed. And also, too, Cody Glass got hurt last night. He left in the second period, did return the play in the third period. But the Preds, once they got their their bearings, it was encouraging to see that at least Brunette's system was being applied as best as possible. So, and then yes, like you said, we saw O'Reilly, you know, look really good. He scored his first goal as a member of the Nashville Predators. It was Philip Forsberg who had a beautiful, beautiful sauce pass, Michael, over to O'Reilly and tapped it home past Johansson. So everything started to click, but a little too late for everyone's liking, obviously. And I, and I want to talk about that because you you touched on it a little bit there. The, the top line. Pairing Philip Forsberg and Ryan O'Reilly together, I think that was a given basically ever since O'Reilly signed the contract. Yuso Parsonen kind of came on. He was injured a little bit at the beginning of training camp, kind of came on late. And then all of a sudden he's skating on the top line and it just works. And the Predators in practice and in camp, they they tried a couple different forwards up there. I think um, they had Fagimo up there for a little bit. They had Cole Smith up there. They had, they had a couple other guys kind of rotate in and out during practice. But Yuso Parsonen is the guy that that's really kind of stuck. And you look at last night... Forsberg had two assists. O'Reilly had a goal and an assist. Parson had a goal. And I, what I really liked was just that line just seems to fit. And I feel like the Predators kind of play their best hockey when they know they have a top line that they can count on. You look at the, the Jofa years when that was the top line. The, th- things just kind of seem to work offensively. What do you like about Yuso Parson on that top line? Because I feel like he's he's almost the perfect complement to Forsberg and O'Reilly because he he's similar enough that the line works, but he's also different enough that he brings a different element than Forsberg does, who's more of a dynamic shot creator, and O'Reilly, who's just kind of a very cerebral kind of uh, playmaker, if you will. Yeah, he is very cerebral for sure. But I think Parsonen is so casual. He's so nonchalant, Michael. He fits in really anywhere. And so when you have a guy like that that has the swagger and the charisma on offense, it's encouraging for the Predators plan. And so for him to slot in up there, you know, going to a lot of those practices at training camp, you know, I think it was funny to see Philip Forsberg and Ryan O'Reilly skate some with whoever was up on that top line with them, you know, at times just to kind of, you know, not to read too much into this, but Cole Smith was up there with them at 
at times at the beginning of training camp. That didn't last very long whatsoever because Parsonen had a lower body injury that he was dealing with day to day. He ended up coming back, and that's when we saw them start developing chemistry. And so Parsonen scored it between the the goal legs and or between the legs goal against UC Soros. And so that was encouraging to see that he has the confidence, like I said, the the swagger to his game. I think he fits in beautifully there because if you have a guy like O'Reilly that's really good up the middle, who, by the way, took over half, I mean half, of the Nashville Predators' face-offs in the first game. So we're going to continue to see that work very well for the Predators. But like I kind of talked about earlier, they did move Parsonen away from the original line he was on with the special teams unit. So I wonder how much more moving around Brunette may do. Not to say that Parson will get taken off the first line, Michael, but how will they continue to develop chemistry and how will they continue to find each other out there on the ice? That's the biggest question to be seen. Yeah, and I also really liked what they did with pairing Tomasino and Novak together. Novak had a beautiful goal. Uh, if you didn't see it, I have a video of it on my on my Twitter feed. Um, where he basically just, he fit like there was barely enough room to get that puck in between the goaltender and the net. And he somehow did it. And I like that Tomasino was screening the goalie because this is, a, this is a line. I feel like that has a lot of upside, especially with Luke Evangelista playing with him as well. I feel like there's a lot of upside there because all three have, I feel like have a pretty high offensive skill set. Luke Evangelista is a playmaker. Philip Tomasino can be a goal scorer. Tommy Novak is just an all-around jack of all trades. And he's and we talked about this during during training camp. I think if there was one person aside from Yusuf Parson that really stuck out just in terms of the plays he was making, everything he was doing, and just how much he progressed and developed as opposed to last season, it's Tommy Novak. And we we the big question coming into this season was could he take his 2022 season? Would his production translate into this year? Would he be able to keep up the scoring pace? Was it an anomaly or is he really a 40, 50, 60 point player? And I know it's just one game, but I think I think we have the answer. I think he he's definitely capable of that. I really like that line. I know that they were technically the third line yesterday, um, but I really like pairing all three of those guys together. Yeah, I do too. And that's something else to kind of read into a little bit. Brunette told everyone that, look, I don't look at this being a one through four, a one through three lineup whatsoever. He's going to put the best line out there night in and night out. And it doesn't matter who gets the most ice time consistently. Fans are going to have to just see who is with who and move along from there. But another thing too, that I thought was underrated about the first game, Michael, was the fact that the Predators are giving Cody Glass an opportunity to try and be a bigger part in the lineup because he was on the first power play unit with O'Reilly, Novak, Forsberg, and Yossi. And then I think just watching him try to get comfortable with that line, it's been a, it's been a good theme to see that they're trying to re- rely on him as much as possible because, look, even before practices, you see that same power play unit out there with who? Andrew Brunette, because that's what he is trying to do. He's trying to establish a good power play. And Glass was right there with them before practices, a good 10 or 15 minutes before anything got started. And so when you see the effort and the passion that comes from Brunette as a coach, I think it's fun to watch from afar and see all of that develop early on. And look, the other power play unit was Nyquist, Parson, and Tomasino, Barry, and Evangelista. And so while Tomasino and Evangelista are still guys that have to grow up a little bit in terms of their 
you know, physicality and whatnot. I think that they have the skill to develop in, into something good. And so when that is going to be seen, I don't know, but I think we're slowly starting to see what they're looking for out there on the ice. It's all about the finishing touches for sure. So I do like that glass is getting more of a look and that's the biggest question mark for him. Can he be a true number one or number two center in your lineup? Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's a good thing to to see if you're a Predators fan too. And I don't want to turn this into a bash on John Hines thing, but seeing Cody glass on the first power play and we think he's going to be there consistently. I expect that with a coach like Andrew Burnett. I, I kind of didn't expect that with John Hines simply because I, I just don't think John Hines knew how to use Cody glass. And he came in, he was a hyped up prospect, top five, top six draft pick. And he battled injuries and he was just inconsistent, got sent down to the AHL, came back up. And he he had a good year last year, 14 goals, 35 points in 72 games. But you got to remember, before Cody Glass was drafted, granted it was just the junior leagues, but when he was in the WHL with Portland Winterhawks the last two years before he jumped to the NHL, he was a dynamic forward. He had 32 goals and 94 points in 2016, 2017, then 37 goals and 102 points in 2017, 2018. Like, the guy can score. He has he has the offensive skill set. He can be a goal scorer. He can be a point producer. And I, I just feel like John, he was never going to reach his development under John Hines because he just maybe didn't know how to use him. You get someone like Andrew Burnett that comes in, a little bit more experience running a high-powered offense, a little bit more experience with, with players probably of Cody Glass's caliber. Now we see him on the first power play unit. If Cody Glass is on the, on the power play one unit the entire year, I would expect somewhere eight to 10 goals and maybe 15, 20 points on the power play just from Cody glass. That that's the kind of potential he has. And I feel like I said this before, Philip Tomasino is probably the player that's going to benefit the most from having Andrew Burnett. If there was a number two player to benefit the most, I, I believe it's Cody glass. Yeah. I think that's a really good take on both of those players for sure. They're toward the end. And you know, another thing that I feel like has changed dynamically has been A, the locker room, and B, how the defense is perceived. Because when you take a look at who played with who last night on defense, I don't know how long this is going to shape out to be a consistent lineup, Michael, on the back end. But by golly, if it stays like this the whole season, that would not be on anyone's bingo card or Uno card. Whatever game that you play, I don't see this drawing up to be consistent the entire season. it can't stay that way. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want to overreact to one game, but sure. Luke Shen does. Luke Shen does not belong on the top pairing, and I know he's supposed to be Roman Yossi's bodyguard. It, that just did not work. I, I don't want to overreact to one game. Maybe he figures it out, and it was just you know a blip on the radar. But but the defense last night was bad, and we've you. I mean, you wrote a story about this. There's so many. There's so much competition, and I think everyone was kind of ruling out Jeremy Lozon. And you wrote a story about how Lozon was kind of working his way into the lineup. I think Lozon's spot safe. I, I I really do. I think Carrier and Fabro are going to kind of rotate in as the odd man out on most nights. See, that's exactly where I was going to go. And yes, you can check out more of that on NashvilleHockeyNow.com. Um, I think it's a really good thing to keep an eye out for because it's going to be very interchangeable this season. And, you know, I played a lot of defense growing up and I can kind of look for a couple more things just naturally for myself. And so I think when Shin is out there on the ice, he's just your casual stay at home defender. 
And yes, he's supposed to be the quote unquote hitman's bodyguard, I guess, because Yossi's out there scoring all the points and, you know, Luke Shin is just going to be the the entire bruiser that the Nashville Predators have. And so I think when you even look at a guy like Alexander Carrier, Jeremy Lazan, and Dante Fabra, I think that's going to be a revolving door this year, just strictly based on the fact of we don't know who's going to stay healthy, obviously. Barry is a lock for me until he's either traded or he just continues to, to actually stay in Nashville. And it's intriguing because, look, if there's one or two guys that get you know, hurt or whatever it is, Michael, I do think the Preds do have dependable defenders in Milwaukee because, quite frankly, I think one of them is one of the best skaters in the entire organization and Spencer Stastny. And then if you're missing a more physical player you need to bring up Jake Livingstone because Jake is still your two-way defender, albeit doesn't have very much NHL time. That's all he had last year, though. He had a couple of games or a couple of cups of coffee with Nashville last year. And I think that looking at what this group is capable of on defense, they may not be the most star-studded. They are deep, but it's about the consistency behind what they do out there on the ice. And so I think Jeremy, you know, that's why I asked Brunette at the last home, home uh, preseason game, you know, Lazan was up there on the play. He jumped up. And I think we're going to see more of Jeremy Lazan thriving. That wasn't as expected maybe after the Preds originally traded for him from Seattle, who we will see tomorrow night. But I'm wondering how else this is going to impact those just defenders this season. Yeah, and I think something else to keep in mind too is Lazan is a left-handed shot. And we saw last year, when they tried to put uh, put McDonough with Ekholm, who both of them are right-handed shots, it didn't really work. It worked with Yossi, but that's more so because Roman Yossi is all over the ice that he's not really tied to the left side as much as some of the other left-handed shots are. Um, and I think that's something to keep in mind, too, because you look at Shen and you look at Carrier and Fabro and, and Barry. I mean, there, there's only so many spots, and you have to make it make sense. Trying to put two right-handed shots and pairing them together in the third pairing doesn't make sense. I think Lozon's spot is pretty safe, and we've talked about this before. Carrier and Fabro, they're they're both in a weird situation where they just got contracts, but they also they need to prove themselves because their roster spot probably isn't really guaranteed beyond just this year. And you look at the depth in Milwaukee. For the first time in probably a handful of years, I think the talent in Milwaukee might be like you probably have two NHL ready defensemen in Milwaukee that might be better than what your third pairing is in the NHL because Jake Livingstone should be in the NHL. He's just kind of been a victim of the numbers game. Barry Trotz is very high on Adam Willsby. I think Spencer Stastny and Mark Delgazo could both be skating in the NHL right now. I think they're they're both they're both serviceable third pairing defensemen. You have other guys like Jordan Gross that that came up and down last year, played have NHL experience and stuff. So I think that this the defense is probably, yes, watching the offense and kind of seeing how that's going to gonna shape up, I think, is is a big part of the team's success. But what really caught my eye was the, the way the defense played last night. Luke Shen, yeah, he had four hits. He was kind of, he was doing what he was supposed to, but it, it just looked really bad. And you don't know if it's the first game jitters or if that's how it's going to be. And looking at the heat map, just, just kind of, of where all the lightning shots took place. They were all high danger. Well, four out of the five were, were in high danger zones. Two came from right in front of the goal. The other two more came from probably about three or four feet back outside of the crease. And then one came in between the uh, the neutral zone and the faceoff dot. But you're looking at that. UC Saros is going to have a hard time if the defense is just continuing to let forwards kind of come in and just pepper him from right in front of the goal. And I, I don't know 
if Andrew Burnett is as willing to interchange his defensive pairings as he is his forward pairings, his forward groups, because he's talked about that, that he he likes to, to mix and match his forwards whenever he wants. To me, the defense, that's something that's got to be addressed. And and I tried to I had someone ask me a question about it in the uh, in the Nashville Hockey Now mailbag yesterday about the difference between Heinz's system and Brunette's system and how that affects the defense. And I tried to explain a little bit that it felt like Heinz's system was more about being physical, grinding other other uh, grinding the opposition down, not really worried about the X's and O's. And with Brunette, it's it's about attacking the puck regardless of where you're at. I think if the Predators can fix the offense, that'll kind of help the defense as well because it'll take a little bit a little bit of the pressure off because if the Predators are playing more with the puck, then that's less the defense has to worry about the other offense coming at them. So there's a, there's a lot of moving parts to this and I think this is this is probably my main takeaway from last night is how does how does Andrew Burnett handle the defense going forward? Does he overreact and completely switch things up or does he kind of keep it the same and see if if Luke Shen can kind of redeem himself a little bit? Yeah, that's going to be something to keep tabs on for sure. And the Preds are spending roughly $1 million more than they are on offense. They've got roughly $30 million invested into the defense and around $29 million invested into the forwards currently right now. And also, too, you know, this summer, Michael, I, I think this is a, a key point that I'll point out about the defense before we move along here. When I was speaking with a couple of different sources this summer about Carrier and maybe what his future would look like, I remember pointing this out to our staff on Nashville Hockey Now that, look, there's a pretty decent chance either Carrier gets a contract or he's traded. And so there was a little bit of that buzz going around as well of, okay, if he doesn't have anything, is Nashville going to trade him? And then also to the longest deal that we saw from an RFA was Cody Glass, and deservedly so. I think two years is well than enough time for Nashville to see if Cody Glass is worth anything else after that. So, and you know, Cody's going to be making two and a half million dollars. That's a great deal for him. It's it's a team friendly deal for Nashville too. But also too, I think you've got two key defenders. Like I said, Carrier. You know, was the guy that almost could have gone to arbitration, didn't require it whatsoever. But Carrier is going to be a UFA at the at the very end of the season, whereas you have Dante Fabro one year and he's an RFA. So it might spice up a little bit, Michael. But in terms of maybe the plan, we could have an answer at some point this season. You don't need to rush it because Barry Trot is all about patience and letting people marinate. Apparently, so we'll see how much of that works out in favor maybe of some of these defenders as well. But they are deep in that spot, and you can't be unhappy with it until you see exactly what some of these depth guys actually do in the long in the long run. Yeah. And I kind of wanna I want to talk about just the, the team as a whole because we we've kind of broken down the offense and some lines and the defense. The the big issue I think fans had with this team last year, and it got better once a lot of the Milwaukee guys got called up at the end of the year. But even even for most of John Hines' tenure, some sometimes this team was just hard to watch. It wasn't good offensive hockey. It wasn't good defensive hockey. There was just there was a lot of things going on that I feel like were outside distractions. Now that everyone's kind of started on a clean slate, first period aside last night because we talked about how rough that was. Last night was actually just as a hockey fan was fun to watch. You had two teams going back and forth. The second and the third period were crazy. You had Yossi's shot that was waved off for goaltender interference, which I don't necessarily agree with. Then you had, you know, the the crazy penalty shot that probably shouldn't have been awarded, but I, I understand it. Just all the goal scoring going on in the third period. 
barring granted, you don't want to lose by two goals every night. But if you're if you're in a competitive hockey game like you were last night, I think fans would take that. If you if you play if they play like that for the other 81 games of the season, I think fans are going to be highly entertained and they're going to be highly invested because the team is going to be showing growth and progress and development, as well as playing that more entertaining offensive brand of hockey that Barry Trotz and, and Andrew Burnett talked about all offseason. Yeah, exactly. And when you take a look at, you know, we've already kind of talked about Ryan O'Reilly, what he has to offer to this lineup as well. And the first line with Parson in there as well, you know, too, I think it was kind of interesting to watch what uh, Gus Nyquist did along with Kiefer Sherwood, because those two aren't necessarily top six forwards, but they're Nashville's top six forwards. And so that might be pretty interchangeable, but you know, the second and third line, those ice times are going to be kind of close to together so you kind of have a 2a and 2b situation and that's what stood out to me and the rest of the 40 minutes of action was just how those two lines looked out there against tampa bay because you know you talked about this earlier in the program was tampa bay is known to be a very good team they're a stanley cup winning team and so when you look at what they were able to do in terms of setting things up they did it well but not well enough to win, but it's still along the lines of an exciting game because they were putting things on net. And also, too, I think Tampa was doing their very best to keep everyone away from Johansson because that was a that was a very dicey situation seeing Andre Vasilevsky. Ha- he had to get microdisectomy surgery. Hope I said that right. But he's going to miss the first two months of the year. So the Preds tried to to actually take advantage of driving a lot of pucks toward the slot, albeit like I talked about earlier, Cody Glass got railed in the head by a puck by Tyson Berry. Everything's okay there. But it's good to see that they're driving traffic to the net because Cody Glass is not the biggest. But when you're centerman along with O'Reilly, Novak, and Sissons last night, when they're around the slot and they're creating offense because there were plenty of chances to either tie the game or take a lead like Nashville did back and forth. It's good to see that. And so, like you just said, it's fun to watch because everything's going back and forth at some point. But when you have as many goals as you do in in the third period, everyone's having a good time, whether it's your team or not. Yeah, and I think something else to to keep in mind, too, and make sure you go to Jaspers. um, Something else to keep in mind, too, is Samuel Fagimo. I mean, I wrote about this on on Nashville Hockey Now last week, and I tweeted about it too the other day. The kids had two practices and two preseason games, and that and that was just he got off the plane coming over from the Global Series, got put on waivers, got claimed, came to Nashville. He's he's had to try to force everything into like a week of learning the new system, teammates, coaches, where to be, where to go, all the stuff, the new city, everything. Like I can't imagine everything that's going on with him. It might take him a few games before, you know, they're ready to put him into the lineup before they feel like he's got a good grasp on where to go and and the offense and what to do and stuff like that. But he's only 23. He's got a lot of speed. He's really creative in the offensive zone. He's great on the power play. He's got a really good shot. I don't know if Sherwood or if Smith comes out whenever they put Fagimo in, just because I feel like Sherwood and Fagimo kind of play a little bit more similarly than, than he and Smith do. But that's something else to keep in mind, too. We, we didn't really see the full Predators lineup. And who knows, maybe the next game, Carrier comes out, Fabro comes in, maybe Fagimo goes in and Sherwood comes out. But there, there's still a couple pieces that are on the roster that they can they can mix and match as well. But I'm really excited to see kind of what they can do with, with Samuel Fagimo just because he is someone who I feel like very much fits into the way Andrew Burnett wants to coach and wants to play. 
Yeah. And I think it was kind of fun. What I even did too was after Nashville actually put their claim in for him, not that long after the first episode of Behind the Glass for the Los Angeles Kings came out. And Sam wasn't really featured in that, but he was in it a couple of different times, just kind of in the background. But, you know, it was nice to kind of meet him and just get to know him because you just did it perfectly, Michael, just explaining what he's been through. But he he was over in Australia. He was on the other side of the world. That was the first game in the Southern Hemisphere ever. And so he was part of history. He comes back to Los Angeles. It's a tough roster cut for them. His goal was to make the team. But over the summer, too, one thing I learned about him, Michael, was he got to go home for the first time since being over here in the States. And so he's been through the ringer. And so now he's in Nashville. He's made this team. And I didn't envision the Predators trying to put him back on waivers because, you know, one of our uh, colleagues, Clay, was trying to figure out alongside me and you what waivers was looking <laughs> like. And so that was a whole debacle over the weekend before the first regular season came down. And we have a story that explains waivers perfectly from Clay Brewer's perspective as well. And so that was kind of interesting to kind of learn more about just going through the CBA and whatnot. So that would be something to read that makes things 10 times easier to understand. And I even had the yes. shoot. I even shot Elliot Friedman a text to kind of just make sure, hey, does this make sense? And, you know, we got that confirmation back for sure. But yes, going back to Sam for just a second here, he's interesting. Nice humble brag there. Yes, yes, of course. The sourcing goes deep once you uh, are in the radio business here in Nashville. But Sam Fagimo, uh, he was a winger that was drafted, I would say, respectively high for what he's capable of doing. He was drafted in the second round, I believe, 50th overall. And so I think for him, his shot four four picks behind Igor Afanasyev. Yeah, there you go. So four picks behind the Russian that I believe could be one of the leaders on the Predators at some point in time because he was one of those during the development camp process as well. But I think that for Sam's sake, his shot was electric when he was coming up through the AHL and he's starting to show flashes of that. At the NHL level, he scored during the last home preseason game for the Predators. It was good to see that he had the confidence after traveling as much as he has. So it's good to see that they have options. I think if it was me, I would take out Sherwood for him and kind of see what he does. And also, too, I have to make a note of this because this did happen. Fagimo was on the top power play unit in a couple of different drills, but he also replaced, I believe, Tomasino on the power play unit in some situations as well during practice. So could we see him get ice time? Yes. Will he be on the power play? I guess we'll have to find out. And kind of just wrapping up here, putting a bow on, on on all of this, the Predators have three more games before the next podcast comes out next week. Thursday, the home opener against Seattle. Saturday, they're at Boston. Tuesday, they're at they they host Edmonton. Those are three really tough games. Um, you, and I, I mean, you talk about fun offensive hockey, something that's exciting to watch. That Seattle game, I think, is going to be fast. It's going to be high pace. There's going to be speed, speed, speed. I think it's going to be probably one of the more entertaining games the Predators play this season. But looking at that 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 stretch, Seattle, Boston, Edmonton, I wanted to kind of pick your thoughts on on how do you think the Predators will come out of that little three game stretch, and what do you kind of expect for them? Because I think I think Seattle is is a winnable game. I don't know if they have the pieces right now, and I don't know if they're gelling right now to to win. I could see them losing all three, but I I, I think somehow, some way, they'll squeak one win out of those three. What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, you know what? I think on opening night, it's going to be interesting for the Predators in Nashville. They get to face Ellie Tolvanen, you know, the illustrious forward that got picked off of waivers by the Kraken for nothing. And the Predators essentially get Fagimo off of waivers for nothing as well. Both wore the same number in Nashville, by the way. One's more current than the other, albeit this is the matchup expectation that I would have for Nashville and the Kraken. So, I think Seattle's defense is quite underrated. Vince Dunn is their best defenseman hands down along with Adam Larson. And so it's going to be interesting to see how much of a shutdown system the Kraken have when they come in town here because they've they've been firing on all cylinders ever since they got started. They missed the playoffs their first year. They made it last year. They were a hell of a good team last year as well. And so they're led by a couple of different guys as well because you've got uh, Jordan Eberle is up there. You've got Oliver Bjorkstrand. You've also got Yanni Gord from the Tampa Bay Lightning. They are tearing things up. So everything looks good offensively for them. I just wonder how much they dive into the Predators system and expose those broken areas. And then looking at Boston too, they're more they're going to be the most well-rounded team. I believe that the Predators will face here in the next week. Maybe, just maybe, the Oilers are a little more well-rounded. But I think that if the Preds get to their system early and often and they're quick on pucks through the neutral zone, we could see a good game from, from the Predators. But I also think they have to do the same thing against Boston because if they don't, they're going to get caught from playing from behind most of the game. And so I think, too, when they play the Oilers, it's also Matthias Ekholm's first game back in Nashville, most notably so. But that will be interesting. So one other thing that I kind of like, too, about these next three games is the fact that the Predators, they're going to be challenged. And so that's going to be a fit for them. But, Michael, what do you think about the next three games? Yeah, the next three games, I think, are, are going to be interesting because, like like we pointed out earlier, they're still trying to kind of get everything in order, get kind of function together. Andrew Manette's really big on on chemistry and kind of guys feeding off each other. They're still trying to learn that, get the get that down a little bit. So I think I think Seattle will be a really fun game to watch. But Seattle kind of I think Seattle kind of plays the way the Predators are hoping to play. They mix and match their lines a lot. All the forwards are so good, they're interchangeable that you can pretty much take a top line guy, put him on the third line, and, and it, you basically get the same production out of that line. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. The Ellie Tolvin dynamic, of course, everyone's gonna be talking about that too. Um, I think Boston's just really good. They're, they're gonna have a a tough time beating the Bruins just because traditionally just that's what the Bruins are. They're, they're a tough out for anybody. They have a really good roster, uh, two really outstanding goaltenders. And I think Edmonton's probably the most winnable game simply because I feel like out of looking at all the, the goaltending situations, I feel like Edmonton probably has the most beatable goaltending with, with Campbell there. Um, and I, and look, Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, they're going to be tough to stop. But UC Saros is as good as it gets in net. I think if the defense figures it out by by the time we roll into game four there, I, I think it could be entertaining. And I do think they can probably squeak out a win there. So like I said, I think coming out of those three games, I think they'll find a way to win one of them. If I had to, if I had to guess, I would probably put my money on Edmonton. Um, I don't I don't see a win in Boston, but I do think that the Seattle game is going to be highly entertaining as well. There's just there's so much to track this season. What how the forwards are playing together which forwards are on which lines, how the power play units look. Andrew Burnett has said that he is coaching the power play. He's taking on that responsibility. He's like, I've done it before. I'm going to keep doing it. I enjoy it. 
And the power play has really kind of been the Achilles heel of this team for the last three, four or five years, even going back to the, the last year of Peter Laviolette. So Brunette, not only being responsible for the entire team, but personally making it his mission to revamp the power play and get it back to respectability, I think is something to watch as well. So over the next three games, I think we're going to, there's going to be, there's still going to be some growing pains. There's going to be a lot of learning going on, but I do think we'll, we'll finally start to see a little bit of, of this team kind of take shape. Yeah. Um, we we oh. really will, Michael. That is very true. <laughs> I was just gonna say, I, I do think if you're if you're a fan, there's a lot to be excited about. If there's the game last night. I know the loss is obviously something that you you don't really not really excited about, but I think it was entertaining. It was fun to watch, and I feel like there's just there's more hope and optimism around this team with the regime change. You have new people in charge. You have new players on the ice, and I, I think there's a, if you're a Predators fan. There's a lot to be optimistic about with this team. You also have a lot of guys in the pipeline that are going to be probably cycling in and out this year. A lot of guys next year that might be called up with all the draft picks this team has. Like, I, I think the future is pretty bright for this team. And if you've listened to this podcast for long enough, myself, probably more so than Braden, we've we've kind of been down on this team just because David Poyle wasn't making a lot of good moves. You had John Hines not really coaching good hockey. You had players not really executing good hockey. And we've kind of been down on the, on the team in the future and the trajectory of where they're going. I think for the first time, probably since 2020, there, there's, there's stuff to be excited about if you're a Predators fan. Yeah, I think that could be the case for sure. I mean, I think there was merit a little bit to what Hines was trying to do in Nashville. And, you know, I think when you take a 30,000 foot view of what Hines tried to accomplish in Nashville, I think he had the right intentions. I just don't think that over the course of time, as things gelled and as things kind of started to come to fruition on the ice, once they got out of that, they were in a funk the entire time time and it was tough to get back to that and clearly when you have trots signifying well Duchesne's not part of this Johansson's not part of this Matthias Ekholm is not part of this um, it was interesting to see that they decided to make those just those choices ultimately that said okay we're going in this direction and then at the draft we saw them expand on those opportunities to, to actually take the most of that too. You know, they draft Matthew Wood, then Tanner Molendyke who by the way, I think could challenge to be on a spot n- next season possibly depending on how this shapes up, but I could see it taking 2 years before Molendyke is ready. Regardless, everyone should be happy with how this is shaping up strictly because they have a lot of draft capital. They have 11 picks again this year too. So it's going to be intriguing to see what they do around the deadline. I don't know what they're going to do. That's so far ahead from now. But the Preds don't have too much to trade away in terms of personnel. But also, too, I think the goaltending is a little bit more up in the air than people may think it is, Michael. Yeah, it's very interesting. I know Elliot Friedman on his 32 Thoughts podcast kind of said they were they were looking at maybe getting an extension done for UC Saros, or they're at least talking about it. They tried Barry Trotz dangled uh, Yaroslav Askarov out there at the at the the draft. Maybe we're in the same position where he's trying to move up for another top five, top ten pick next year. And Askarov is a trade bait again. I mean, there's there's a lot of interesting things going on. There's there's no shortage of storylines. There's a lot of stuff to to keep track of. There's so many moving pieces with the roster that it could potentially be. Um, there's just there's so much going on that I think it's a good time to be a Predators fan. It's a good time to be a reporter covering the team because. There's there's it, there's more excitement. There's a lot more to do. There's more there's more to write about than there traditionally has been. So I, I feel like this is going to be a good season. The Predators might not win a lot of games. I think we will be entertained whether or not they do win or win or lose a lot of games. 
And I, I just think that there, it's going to be a good season for us. If you haven't been to the Nashville Hockey Now website recently, make sure you go check that out. Had three stories dropped yesterday. We put our staff picks up there where we did some predictions for the Predators, leading score, number of starts for sorrow, stuff like that, um, as well as picking each division winner and the Stanley Cup winners. Um, I had my mailbag up there where I answered some of your questions. So if you asked a question and did not get your answer, go make sure you check that out. And then you also put up the first part of this this big intricate series, Nashville Predators 25 years later, part one, kind of the, the beginning. You did, you did a lot of, of groundwork on this, interviewing Terry Crisp and Pete Weber and Willie Donick and a bunch of other people. And this is just the first part of the series. Make sure you go read it, um, just kind of encapsulating how it's the 25th year anniversary of the Predators, just encapsulating how they got there. So good job on you if you haven't read that. We will have the other the other installments of that kind of dispersed out over the next couple of weeks as well. We'll also have plenty of content coming up from the next three games. We will have pretty much anything you could want coverage wise about the team up on Nashville Hockey now. Make sure you go check it out. If you hate all the ads on there, because a lot of you keep telling me about that, totally understand. We do offer a subscription. It's $4.50 a month. Gets you no ads on there if that's something you're interested in as well. Um, that'll do it for us this week. Braden will be back next week. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore. Nick, where can they follow you? Yes, the fine people that love these national predators can follow me at Keezer Nick on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it. And that'll do it for us. We'll be back next week. Make sure you listen, rate, subscribe, and go to Jasper's.